0: Today's podcast is brought to you by the prime original series, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, now nominated for 14 Emmy Awards, including Outstanding Comedy Series and Outstanding Lead Actress in a Comedy Series, for Rachel Brosnahan's performance as Midge Maisel. Consider it marvelous in all categories.
1: Welcome to the latest edition of Chasing Emmy. My name is Lynette Rice. I'm here with my good friend, Kristen Baldwin. Hi, Kristen. Hey, Lynette. Unfortunately, we're not here with our third person uh, because we'd like to say he's on an assignment in Amsterdam, although I don't think we've ever assigned anything in Amsterdam, so maybe I shouldn't say he's on assignment in Amsterdam.
0: I mean, he could be, but I think more likely he's just getting some much-needed rest and relaxation.
1: Yes, well, it's, it's, it's his loss because this episode, we're talking about drama, which I think has the most interesting categories of this year's show, and you and I, we've got lots to talk about. We're going to go through all the, uh, the categories, uh, best actor, best supporting actor, and then we're also going to talk about the uh, drama category itself, and then afterwards, Kristen has a very special interview. What is that, Kristen? Kristen?
0: I will be talking to Yvonne Strahovski from The Handmaid's Tale. She's nominated for Supporting Actress in a Drama, her first nomination. So excited to hear from her.
1: All right, let's get started. Let's start with the Outstanding Lead Actor in a Drama category. Kristen, why don't you go through the past winners?
0: So last year, 2017, it was Sterling K. Brown for This Is Us. The year before that, it was Rami Malek for Mr. Robot. In 2015, John Hamm finally won for Mad Men. In 2014, Brian Cranston for Breaking Bad. And in 2013, Jeff Daniels for The Newsroom, of all things.
1: I remember Sterling had a, a quite moving speech. Uh, I, I think what was so cool about Rami is it's always fun when an underdog wins, and that's he obviously won from the first season.
0: He's obviously his star is rising. He's going to play Freddie Mercury in a biopic, and he's an amazing actor. It's always fun to see a newcomer. Kind of deer in the headlights as they get up on stage and they can't believe this moment is happening.
1: Right, right. And that was Brian's last. Emmy that he won before the show took off, right? I think that was his final goodbye trophy, which ain't bad. All right, so this year's nominees: is uh, Jason Bateman from Ozark. It was his first nomination in the category. He had been nominated twice before uh, for comedy and for rest development. Sterling K. Brown again for This Is Us. This is, of course, his second nomination. Ed Harris from Westworld. This is his first nomination in the category. He had been nominated twice as an actor in a movie mini. Matthew Reese from the Americans, this is his second nomination. Mila Ventimiglia, this is his second nomination for This Is Us. And the wonderful Jeffrey Wright from Westworld, this is his first nomination in the category. Uh, He earned a nomination in the supporting category last year and won for his supporting performance in Angels in America in 2004. Uh, i got to tell you, it's weird, it's a little weird seeing Jeffrey and Ed in the same category and lead actor. It definitely feels like Jeffrey may be more supporting. I don't know. What do you think? It's hard
0: to say. I mean, I think there's a case to be made. He has a supporting role, but he's in it as much as Ed, and they both really did have an increased role this season. And also just Bernard, the character he plays, was so pivotal this season that, and Jeffrey Wright is great in the role, so I'm not surprised that he went for lead. Uh, Ed Harris was not nominated for the first season, so I'm glad that they finally Gave it to him because he is a
1: great bad guy as the man in black. What snubs did you think of immediately when these nominations came out?
0: Well, I was really sad for poor Freddie Highmore from The Good Doctor. You know, we spoke to him in the first season of Chasing Emmy, and he really does carry that show. It was a huge hit for broadcast. It's a feel good medical drama. He plays a doctor uh, with autism who's brilliant and has to learn sort of how to work with other people as he uh, transfers to this new hospital. So, yeah, I was was really surprised he didn't get a nomination. Maybe the academy felt like with two nominations from this is us, they didn't have any room for another broadcast show.
1: How sad is that. Not enough room for broadcast. We only allow one. One of you one of you losers and that was it. All right, let's so let's 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 do the old uh who should win and who will win. Know if I want to start, I'm going to throw it on you. You start, Kristen. I got to think about this. Go ahead.
0: I think the should win in this category is probably Sterling K. Brown again. I love him. I, you know, I love the cast of This Is Us, but he's still my favorite. I think he had another great season. I know that maybe you'd be pulling for Milo, who hasn't won yet, but I don't know. I think Sterling is still very much the heart of that show, even though he does not play the father that everybody idolizes.
1: I think it's the other way around. I think, well, for me, I think Matthew Rhys should win for the Americans because he's also never won and it is, it's extraordinary. Um, I think that there's some thought that maybe Ed Harris and Jeffrey Wright are shoulds as well, simply because of what they do in Westworld. But that show was so screwy in this year too. Um, I don't think that, their role spoke as much as what Matthew did for what, who will win. I definitely think it'll be Sterling again for this is us.
0: Well, if Sterling won, that would be a win for everyone. I think.
1: All right. So let's move on to outstanding lead actress in a drama. Go ahead and list the past winners, girl.
0: So last year, 2017, it was Elizabeth Moss for the handmaid's tale in 2016. It was Tatiana Maslani for orphan black. In 2015, Viola Davis for How to Get Away with Murder, and she, by the way, is nominated this year for her guest-starring turn as Annalise in Scandal. So she still got some love, but not in this category. In 2014, it was Julianna Margulies for The Good Wife. And in 2013, the best crier on TV, Claire Danes, for Homeland.
1: All right, so let's talk about this year's nominees. Uh, One, Claire Foy for The Crown. This is her second nomination. Tatiana Maslany for Orphan Black, her second nomination. Elizabeth Moss, The Handmaid's Tale. This was her fifth nomination. If you'll recall, she was nominated three times for Mad Men. Sandra Oh for Killing Eve. Her first nomination in this category, though she was nominated five times as supporting actress for Grey's. Yay for Sandra. Carrie Russell, The Americans. This is her third nomination. And Evan Rachel Wood for Westworld. This is her second nomination in this category. She was nominated for supporting actress in that movie, Minnie Mildred Pierce, back in 2012. All right, so let's talk about who you think should win Kristen
0: I'm going to say Sandra O. Oh. As much as I feel a little bad saying that over Carrie Russell, since this is the last time she could win for the Americans, I just think Sandra O oh was so great. And I really don't think Killing Eve is going to. It needs some kind of recognition, and I want it to go to this. They're going to give it something, give it to Sandra O. Oh. Her co star, Jodie Comer, was great, but was not nominated. She's fantastic in it. It's such a. A surprising and unique show. And I think it would be great if she won. She's my should win. I almost feel like, I almost want to say she's my will win, but because this is the first season and they'll probably have more chances, I'm going to say the will win will be Claire Foy. And the reason I think that is just because there was all that kerfuffle about how she didn't get paid as much as her male co-stars and people love the show and love her. And I feel like there will be a groundswell of some uh, goodwill toward her,
1: I agree with you across the board on Claire. It was a great season because half the season was her fretting with her husband being on the road all the time, and she had to deal with that crap. And there were great episodes. Sandra O, oh, I, I definitely agree with you on the the should part. I wrestle with the idea that am I supporting her because I'm also giddy over the fact that. I discovered this show after everyone recommending it. This is the, this great little gold nugget that you should all go binge. I discovered it. It's totally bitching. It exceeded my expectations. It's something that we haven't seen. And she also happens to star in this great drama that we should all see. Did she do like an incredible performance, you know, better than what we've seen Carrie deliver and Claire deliver? I mean, she's obviously not the doctor she played on Grey's Anatomy. Uh, she plays an investigator who's really bitching. But is this is this a statement more about our love for her or our love for this great drama that we just discovered?
0: If this was a one-and-done series, like if it was a limited series, I would really root for her. But the show's been renewed for season two, and I, I feel like she has another chance. So that's why I feel comfortable going with Claire, simply because I just think she's overdue as well.
1: Yes, Yes, definitely. Uh, A little random reminder before we go on to the next category. Angela Lansbury, God bless her heart, never won in this category despite being nominated 12 times for what show, Kristen? Murder, She Wrote. Murder, She Wrote. So here's the thing. Can I
0: change my should win to Angela Lansbury getting a retroactive Emmy for Murder, She Wrote? Because that's absurd.
1: Wouldn't that be kind if they did that? Well, I think that's obviously the Lifetime Achievement Emmy thing, but I feel like they should do another special, like, we screwed up, we're going to give this Emmy now. Exactly. Right. Not in Lifetime Achievement, but just like, oops are bad. The oops are bad Emmy. That would be great. Here, The oops are bad
0: category, and they would just uh, rectify all the terrible snubs.
1: All right. So let's uh, let's move on to Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Drama. Go ahead and list the past winners.
0: Sure. In 2017, it was John Lithgow for Winston Churchill in The Crown. In 2016, it was Ben Mendelsohn, who was fantastic in Bloodline. 2015, The Dink, Peter Dinklage, GOT, Game of Thrones. In 2014, Aaron Paul, Breaking Bad. And in 2013, it was Bobby Cannavale for Boardwalk Empire. Little surprise winner there. Love me some Bobby.
1: Those were all great. All great wins. Ugh. Love them all. All right, so this year's nominees, uh, Nikolai Koster-Waldo, he's from Game of Thrones, first nomination. That's, that's an outrage. The Dink again, his seventh nomination for Game of Thrones. He won in 2011 and 2015. Joseph Find uh, from Handmaid's Tale, this is his first nomination. David Harbour from Stranger Things, his second nomination. Mandy Patinkin, a.k.a. The Patink. Uh, from Homeland, the Patink. Uh, the four. <laughs> it's the Patink versus the Dink. All right, the Patink has been nominated four times in this category, and Matt Smith from The Crown his first nomination. So go ahead and uh, say who you think should win.
0: I feel like maybe no one can beat the dink because he's been nominated seven times. He's the only Game of Thrones actor to win out of all the actors who have been nominated, which is crazy. And I think when you look at this category in terms of shows that are really still at the top of their peak popularity, top of the zeitgeist, Game of Thrones is kind of unbeatable. So, I feel like should and will is going to be Dinklage. I would say that I really enjoyed David Harbour in Stranger Things season two as well. But I just think when you compare somebody with with seven nominations versus somebody with two, this is obviously a guy that people love. And I think it's going to be hard to beat the dink.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. I'm a huge fan of the crown. I'd actually like to say for should win, I would say Matt Smith as the the Queen's husband. This last year was so great because he was on the road a lot, too. He was I think he was basically an avoidance of his role as the Queen's husband. And it was great. It's, a, it's such a tough role to play. Uh, and he's fantastic at it. Uh, but I think it will go to the dink. Yes. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Drama, the premier drama category, and then we're going to move on to an outstanding interview that Kristen had uh, with an actress from The Handmaid's Tale. This is Lynette Rice. I'm with Kristen Baldwin, and you're listening to Chasing Emmy.
0: Today's podcast is brought to you by the Prime Original Series, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, from executive producers Amy Sherman Palladino and Daniel Palladino. You may recognize their names from Gilmore Girls. And let me tell you, if you like Gilmore Girls, you're going to love this show. It stars Rachel Brosnahan as a 50s housewife, Midge Maisel, whose life kind of falls apart and she turns to stand-up comedy. And it is beautifully shot. There's such amazing costumes. It's, like, so fun to look at. And... There's a great cast including Tony Shalhoub and Alex Borstein and uh, Jane Lynch is in it and she's hilarious. So check it out if you haven't seen it. It's definitely one of my favorite shows of the year. Open your heart to the show Entertainment Weekly calls a perfectly cast delight. Consider it marvelous in all categories including outstanding comedy series.
1: back to Chasing Emmy. This episode we are talking about the incredible drama categories. They're very exciting. Lots of great nominations. Uh, I'm here with Kristen Baldwin. Our good buddy Henry Goldblatt is off in Amsterdam. We will press on without him. Kristen why don't you go ahead and share the past winners for Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Drama. So in 2017
0: it was the fabulous Anne Dowd for The Handmaid's Tale on Hulu. In 2016, it was Maggie Smith for Downton Abbey. And guess what? Maggie Smith doesn't care. She doesn't show up to the Emmys. She wins. She doesn't show up. Mm -mm. In 2015, it was Uzo Aduba for Orange is the New Black. In 2014 and 2013, it was Anna Gunn for her role as Skyler on Breaking Bad.
1: I do remember kind of a bitchin' speech for Uzo. I think she was so full of joy. And then Ann Dowd was so sweet. I remember her being... She said... Hulu. She said Hulu, Hulu. at this be- at the podium, didn't she? Hulu. Yeah, she, would, she was thanking Hulu,
0: and it was just so delightful. And she's just such a lovely
1: woman, and she's so good. It was delightful, which is so nice because she's so freaking hateful on that show. So hateful. This year's nominees first, Alexis Bledel from The Handmaid's Tale. This is her first nomination. Uh, Millie Bobby Brown from Stranger Things, her second nomination. And Dowd from Hulu's The Handmaid's Tale, her second nomination. Lena Headey from Game of Thrones, her fourth nomination. Vanessa Kirby from The Crown, her first nomination. Thandi Newton from Westworld, her second nomination. And Yvonne Strahovski from The Handmaid's Tale, her first nomination. Lots of gals, lots of competition. Who do you think should win, Kristen. <laughs>
0: It's a highly competitive category. I guess if I would say who should win, I think Ann Dowd was fantastic in season two, but she already has a win. So I'm going to say the should win should go to Thandie Newton for Westworld. She's so good on Westworld. She's funny, scary, emotional. She has such a range that she has to play as this woman a robot who has these very maternal feelings for a daughter that she's lost and she's also a fierce warrior trying to sort of lead this uprising alongside Evan Rachel Wood's character but she's also really funny. She kind of has great comic timing and I think she did so much incredible work that she should win. The will win is hard. I wonder, I mean, is this crazy? But I wonder, I feel like Vanessa Kirby might have a shot in the crown. I think people loved her character on the crown and she could be sort of a surprise underdog win.
1: I have it the other way around. So I think should win, should be Vanessa for playing Princess Margaret, the Queen's sister. Her this particular season was pretty heavy duty because it it went through her marriage to the photographer. uh, And She's so—I mean, besides the fact she's so empathetic, she's just incredible to watch on the show, and you feel so sorry for her. I mean, what a fricking life, and living in the shadow of this sister of yours. Uh, and she's fantastic at it. She's obviously getting an extra little boost too because she was in mission. She's in the current Mission Impossible. I think she should win. I think Anne Dowd will win because she's Anne Dowd. And I don't think it matters that she won before, at least not with the voters. I think that she's becoming one of those Emmy faves and – she's all it. I, I definitely think Handmaid's Tale will do it in this category.
0: It's interesting because, you know, people had mixed reactions with Handmaid's Tale season two. I thought it was great overall. I did not love the ending, but some people had trouble with it. So I do wonder if that's going to hinder anyone's chances. But she, once again, was fantastic. So if anyone from The Handmaid's Tale can take it in this category and they don't split the vote, I think it would be Ann Dowd.
1: All right, let's go to the big one, the big Outstanding Drama Series category. Tell me the past winners.
0: In 2017, it was The Handmaid's Tale. And just a reminder, last year Game of Thrones was not eligible because it hadn't been on during the eligibility period. In 2016 and 2015, it was Game of Thrones. And in 2014 and 2013, it was Breaking Bad. So this is obviously a category that can be dominated by one powerful show. And I wonder, this year, Game of Thrones is back. Can anybody beat
1: it? I don't think so. Uh, let's Let's go over the nominees. The Americans from FX, this is their second nomination. The Crown from Netflix, their second nomination. Game of Thrones of course uh seventh nomination in the category The Handmaid's Tale second nomination Stranger Things again from Netflix second nomination This is Us from NBC second nomination and Westworld second nomination uh, let's because I feel like we're both going to say should and will will go to Game of Thrones I mean are you in agreement with me I think Will is
0: pretty much a lock on Game of Thrones, although the only other show that won during its seventh season was Law and Order. So can Game of Thrones break that record? I think if any show can, it probably can. The should, I think, honestly, should be This Is Us. I think Game of Thrones certainly gives us a lot of spectacle and ice dragons and whatever else, but This Is Us it did something that how many shows have become a bona fide national phenomenon on broadcast networks? This is us is
1: so we should reward them simply by finally doing their job and coming up with a show that people come back to broadcast television again? I mean I'm not I'm not disputing the fact that it's a good show, but this last season the dragons became huge menaces. They were amazing. And then, then those those white walkers... Then why don't you give them the award for outstanding CGI? That's not, you know, if they have flying dragons, that's great. But like. But they still had to ride them. They still needed an actor to act while riding them. I mean, that's no small feat, Kristen. I feel like it's a relatively small feat. I love the fact that this is us. I don't mean to cut you off, but I'm going to cut you off. I love the fact that there is finally a broadcast drama in this category. It is good that this is us. I don't think it should win. I I don't think anyone will be sad if it does win, because it will be great, because as I've talked about ad nauseum, the broadcast networks continue to pay top dollar to air this show uh, every year that basically promotes shows on premium and basic cable. So each year they're like, why are we here? Why are we doing this? So it would be nice if a broadcast drama won i just don't think it'll be the case just because of the last season of game of thrones
0: it's going to be hard to beat game of thrones but you know so that's my will i still think the should is this is us because i personally enjoy it more
1: (laughs) well we're going to come back with an interview kristen had with who who did you talk to Kristen? the
0: lovely yvonne
1: strahovsky from the handmaid's tale you're listening to the wonderful podcast chasing emmy
0: This season on The Handmaid's Tale, Serena Joy caused a lot of heartache and experienced plenty herself, too. Through it all, Yvonne Strahovski delivered a nuanced emotional performance that earned her an Emmy nomination for Supporting Actress in a Drama. Yvonne, congratulations on your Emmy nomination. It's much deserved. <laughs> Thank you so much. This was such a crazy season for Serena. We learned so much about her, including in the episode six flashback to her pre-Gilead life when she was promoting her book, A Woman's Place. Of all the blanks that were sort of filled in for us about Serena's past, what surprised you the most Oh, that's a good question. What surprised me the most uh i don't
2: I mean I don't know that anything really surprised me. What was the most surprising was the intensity maybe of um of of some of those flashback scenes where she's at the university and the entire crowd is so a brutal, you know, towards her and what what she's representing. Yeah, that was probably the biggest surprise and and also, like, quite challenging to shoot because that was a a really full-on day where, you know, everyone was screaming obscenities at at Serena.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it's so interesting because she's so clearly in charge in that moment and at that point in their relationship. And it's such a stark contrast to later. What was it like to play that sort of reversal for you in which, you know, especially when she tells him to be a man when he starts crying?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, those moments are are excellent. I actually forgot about that moment. Um, (laughs) That might have been more surprising even than the than the uh, crowds at the university when she does tell him to man up but it it makes sense that that she had those moments she was so in control and and so um i mean there was a sense of equality in their relationship but even more tipped towards her end of the scale where she was more in charge and and called the shots and and said it how and said you know told Fred how things were going to be so I, you know i love that it also kind of, um, it's like a little interesting tidbit of how Fred might have felt pushed away by her and then motivated enough, you know, maybe there were more moments like that and more brutal moments like that, and maybe that's part of what pushes him to be so
0: awful to Serena in the present day in Gilead in this season. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's it's almost like that's the genesis of who he ultimately becomes. And it's such a, as a viewer, it was really fascinating to see that aspect. I also just liked, and this is a very silly girly thing for me to say, but I also just liked seeing Serena's hair down because you have such beautiful hair and it's always up in a bun.
2: Oh, I always feel so different. I I never feel like the hair down suits her. I'm just so used to having it up in a bun. And yeah, I think it just totally changes the the character. It's always very strange.
0: She went through so much this season. She's beaten. She loses a finger. She sacrifices her baby. All these scenes are so intense. On a day like that, when you're going to shoot something like that, how do you get into the right mindset? And then how do you sort of detox yourself afterwards?
2: Getting into the right mindset is relatively easy in in a, a lot of ways, just because... I've spent so much time investing in this character and um getting inside her brain and how she thinks and how she feels and why she takes certain actions that she does so it it all kind of makes sense. The writing is so amazing that it it never really seems left of field, even though we have challenging moments for sure with the script it just it just makes sense so it's easy when you have such amazing writers writing these creative amazing scenes so I I really particularly enjoyed just going down the road of her exploring her vulnerability and kind of cracking all the ice walls that she has from season one and going like deeper into the into her psyche and her raw emotion I that was my favorite part of this season
0: and then when you come home after a day of shooting do you have to like watch some housewives on Bravo or something? How do you like detox? (laughs) Well, thankfully I had my
2: doggies and my husband with me in Toronto this time around. So that was really nice. It was always, you know, coming home to a vibrant household and, and yeah, I mean, Hey, trash TV always helps.
0: In a recent interview, Joseph Fine said uh, that originally in the script, Fred was supposed to rape Serena in Canada after his confrontation with Luke, but he really strongly objected to that and got the writers to remove it. Did you guys discuss that at all during that time that he was sort of going back and forth with the writers?
2: Yeah, he mentioned it. Joe and I talk a lot uh, about our dynamic as the commander and Serena, and and the scenes, and there's a lot of thought that gets put into everything. So yeah, he he had mentioned that for sure. I know he felt strongly to not do that. I mean, one of the main reasons, I, I, I'm sure he said this already, but we didn't want to also take away from from the the rape that would then happen with Offred, where we held offered down and and that was there was that awful scene so it just other it maybe seemed like it was going to be a bit too much if um if he had forced Serena to have sex with him in the hotel in Canada
0: and he also said that he felt that the way you had sort of embodied Serena and portrayed her arc too was already so sort of fully fleshed out that we didn't need that added level of animosity. There was clearly so much built up between these two that it wasn't needed.
2: Definitely a lot built up between the two. I mean, and also we do have I mean, he does subject Serena to a lot of horrible things and it's not like that wasn't in the script. That sort of that story thread because we do have the beating scene and and then the the pinky scene towards the end. So I mean, yeah, adding that in might have it, it just was adding sort of another layer to it that maybe maybe it was a little
0: too much. Obviously, there's so much, especially, and you mentioned the rape scene with Alfred. Were there any scenes that you particularly struggled with or really had to kind of talk it through with Joseph or with the writers just to really make sure you understood what was the purpose?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think this season, there was a lot of navigating between
0: sort of what I like to call season one
2: Serena and then like season two Serena post-beating scene because I feel like the beating scene was really the start of her breakdown and and where we get into like another side of Serena and, and all her emotions and vulnerabilities come out. So there was, you know, in, in tracking that and, and going between sort of more sensitive Serena and ice cold Serena, there was a it was a fine line, you know, walking that walking that line between the two and kind of flip flopping between the two also. So scenes where she was making sort of softer, more human decisions like allowing Janine to go and see the baby at the hospital was tricky just because ordinarily Serena would just shut that down immediately and that would be the end of it. So it, it was those kinds of moments that that sort of felt a little trickier than than others.
0: You wonder if she knows she's going to be a mother, and all these. I wonder if that affects how she looks at all the babies now, and she really she understands Janine more now that she's going to be a mother. And it it did seem like her her perspective was was broadening through the whole season about. Her life and the life she was bringing these these children into.
2: Yeah, I mean, and that was the beauty of of the the thread for Serena this season, which is so centered around motherhood and and how beautifully it was it was sort of navigated with the writing in terms of knowing Serena thinking, you know, oh, I I know I got this, you know, I know what type of a mother I'm going to be. I have all my ideals, and this is how it's going to pan out, and it's going to be great. But really. All the things that she faced in season two really allowed her to make huge realizations about what really she was thinking in her brain that it was, was really quite of a fantasy versus the reality and how much of a slap in the face each of those reality hits was like her husband turning her back on her and beating her and turning her back on baby Angela and not really wanting to do anything more for the child. Um, choosing power over helping a child. And and Eden's execution hit Serena hard and just reflecting back on her own child that she knew was also going to be a little girl growing up in Gilead, just like Eden was. And yeah, it was such a beautiful sort of slow breakdown of uh, of her idealistic View that was never realistic. And so sad at the end with her giving up the child and how impactful that all those things had been in the build up
0: to that one moment. Exactly. And I love the moment where Serena in the finale, she reads from the Bible in front of the council, even though it's a crime. And you really struck this great tone of she was proud, but she's not defiant. She's trying to be respectful, but also speaking up. Sort of how did you find that right balance of how she would make that incredibly dangerous, really, statement in front of this room of men?
2: Well, I sort of, I mean, I thought it was a a balance between being uh, respectful to them, because I think really if she really does want to move the needle, then then she has to be. But there was also a thought in my mind where she really think that she's actually going to get through to someone on, the, on this panel. I think a, a lot of it was to actually really try to make a difference, but also like a very sort of personal moment of I could actually live with myself right now because I'm doing something really positive. No matter how this ends up, I can live with myself knowing that i really did try to change something for the better for women in gilead i mean and we all know it didn't end well but i I just feel like it was such a sort of personal rare moment of really knowing that she had done something good
0: it's hard when you play a character who is uh Unlikable in many ways, and you do it well because then I'm sure when people see you on the street are they like, "Oh, you're so mean or what you know what are the what are the reactions you get from fans uh yeah, it's a lot of uh you're mean
2: a lot of uh swear words come come into play uh you are a a c word a b word uh <laughs> uh an f and b word wait, people have called you a c word, yeah, I mean.
0: Well, wow. no, I mean she kind of deserves it, <laughs> I know, but they do understand you're not her, oh no, of course, no, it's not like people yell that
2: out on the street and they throw stuff at me. no, 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 it's um it's all very polite actually it's <laughs> it comes with a laugh and a smile, usually. I'm horrified to think that I'm sure there are many people out there who think I am like Serena Joy. <laughs>
0: Well, I'm glad that nobody's really taken it too far, but it, it's a testament to a job well done, right? When people are swearing, calling your character swear words, I guess. <laughs> I guess,
2: yeah. Uh, I'll take it as a compliment.
0: <laughs> exactly. You talked about season one, Serena, and obviously we, we we talked about season two, Serena. I feel like in season three, she's going to have to... I feel like she's crossed over in a way by the end of season two in that she realizes this world that she helped create is is not what she wanted it to be do you think do you see her moving you know more in that direction in season 3 do you want her to move more in that direction uh i mean i you know
2: in a lot of ways yes i it would be It would be fun to have her move in in that direction. But in a lot of ways, it might be too easy to have her move in that direction. I mean, the greatest thing about playing someone like Serena is the continuous conflict, especially in Season 2, of realizing that the world that you helped create isn't so great. And and that inner turmoil of still being loyal to that world but realizing that actually you you might have to change a few things and and maybe you can't really live with yourself with the way that it is so it's i love that that conflict you know it keeps it really interesting i think for or for me at, at least because i'm the one you know playing the scenes but hopefully for the audience as well when you see someone you know sort of back and forth between between two ideas, not not being settled anywhere in the in the middle with any kind of decision. So, I think was I'm not. I mean, I know what season three holds for me just because I've spoken to Bruce about it. But but it's what I love about what the writers do is that they they don't really. Sometimes it's not so clear cut, and it's not it's not definitive, and it is a gray area, which is very much reflective of how we humans are. You know, we sit in a we sit in a lot of gray areas. You know, we might make. Strong decisions, and sure, the characters do on the show. But there is a lot of trepidation and tug of war, and uh, and gray area that that these characters are so interesting. You know, sort of fit in the in this.
0: Yeah, this is not a show that ever makes the expected choice. So it sounds like she's not going to so easily give up necessarily a life that she's been part of for so long and helped create. Yeah, maybe not. I mean,
2: you know, maybe not. We'll see. (laughs) Yeah,
0: (laughs) we'll see. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time and congratulations on the nomination and a great season. And uh, I hope that you have a nice, calm and relaxing hiatus before you go back to work. No, thank you very much. It's great talking to you.
1: Thank you, Kristen. Thank you so much for that interview with Yvonne. That's all we have for this week. Please tune in next time when Henry will be back and we'll talk about another great category coming up for this year's Emmys. If you like our podcast, rate us. Please give us a bunch of stars. You can find our podcast wherever podcasts are found. Bye, everybody.
0: Today's podcast was brought to you by the Prime Original Series The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel from executive producers Amy Sherman-Palladino and Daniel Palladino. It stars Rachel Brosnahan, Alex Borstein, and Tony Shalhoub, now nominated for 14 Emmy Awards, including Outstanding Comedy Series. Consider it marvelous
1: in all categories.